Welcome to session 31 of the Bible in a Year Commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 31st of January. Today we'll be looking at Leviticus 5 to 7 and Psalm 31. But so far in Leviticus, we found the Israelites engaging in a series of offerings to establish and affirm their relationship with God. Each offering serves a unique purpose, but they all aim to affirm and deepen their relationship with God. The burnt offering was the first offering we looked at, when animal is wholly burnt on the altar. This has nothing to do with sin, but represents someone willingly coming before God. The rising smoke symbolized God's presence. Next was the grain offering, a shared meal of sorts. Some grain is burnt for God, while the rest is consumed by the priests. This reflected the communal aspect of their faith, recalling the shared meal between God and the elders of Israel back in Exodus 24. The peace offering celebrated the existing peace between God and his people. It involved burning part of an animal and sharing the rest as a meal among the priests and the person who brought it. This act mirrors today's Christian communion, emphasising relationship building. Finally, we reached the sin offering. These were designated for unintentional sins, with the first two focusing on the priests and the nation, and the second two aimed at individual leaders and community members. The purpose here was to cleanse and purify, allowing people to approach God, foreshadowing when Leviticus is going to be going. So let's jump in with today's reading with Leviticus 5 to 7. Continuing on with the offerings, Leviticus 5 looks at different circumstances for sin. It looks at those who sin by not doing something they're meant to have done, but who sin accidentally and don't even realise it. Those who contaminate God's holy space by accident and don't realise it. And finally, those who do something wrong, initially lie to cover it up and then have a change of heart and confess. All of these things fall under the category of unintentional sin, though a couple of them maybe fit very loosely. Again, the point is emphasised there is no offering for someone who intentionally goes around sinning. Then in Leviticus 6-7, we read some extra details on all the offerings we've learned so far. If Leviticus 1-5 to are what the offerings should be, Leviticus 6-7 are how the priests should conduct the offerings. Because there's a lot of specific how-tos and there's a lot that doesn't seem relevant to us, there are little bits we can still glean. In Leviticus 6 verse 10, it mentions the priest putting on his garments and his undergarments. In other ancient Near Eastern religions, he was common for offerings and sacrifices to include nudity and sex. For the Israelites, God wanted to make it clear that nudity and sex wasn't something that they were to use in this context. In fact, the only context it was acceptable was the privacy of the marriage bed. By making sure the priests are fully clothed, there's no chance of even accidental nudity featuring in their rituals. In Leviticus 6 verse 12, God gives the command that the fire of the altar should never go out. This was to be a symbol to the people that God was always there and they could always come to him. Now that we have the Holy Spirit with us, we can also be confident that God is always there and he, we can always come to him. One other thing that appears a lot throughout Leviticus 6 to 7 is the priest being able to eat from the offerings. We mentioned it briefly yesterday, but again, just to say, this was the priests sharing a meal. Sometimes the person who brought the offering could eat some, but mostly it was just the priests. This was the personal relationship that priests had with God. This is why communion is, is so exciting to the Christian. It's not just a select few that can take communion, not just the pastor or those in leadership. 
we all get to take communion together as equals. We are united with each other and in close relationship with God as we share the meal together. And then let's look at Psalm 31. This psalm is attributed to King David and falls into the category of lament psalm. It follows a chiastic structure where the passage reflects itself and with a closing section of thanksgiving and prayer. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. And so we have verses 1 to 5, a prayer. Verses 6 to 8, a declaration of trust. Verses 9 to 13, lament. Then verse 14, a declaration of trust. Verses 15 to 18, a prayer. And then ending with verses 19 to 24, thanksgiving and praise. The psalm opens with a prayer to the Lord to intervene. The psalmist appeals to God as his refuge and fortress and repeatedly asks God to help deliver and rescue him. They then declare their trust in the Lord. While others may trust in idols, the psalmist only trusts in God. They can be confident that they will be able to rejoice because God is faithful and will not deliver them to their enemies. Next comes the lament. As the psalmist shares their struggle, they are in distress. It feels like they are wasting away from grief. Their entire life seems to be spent in sorrow and their strength fails them. They are hated by those who know them and those that don't avoid them. Having shared their lament, the psalmist goes back to declaring their trust in God. This leads them to make bigger requests from God, knowing that he will answer them. They ask to be rescued from their enemies and blessed with God's love, to save them from shame, but bring the shame of the wicked upon themselves. And then the tone of the psalm shifts, as though the psalmist has heard from God and knows that he will intervene. The psalmist now turns to thanksgiving and praise. He is a God that stores up good things for his people. He protects them from the wicked. God has been faithful and loving, but the psalmist felt like God had been hidden from them. God has heard their cry. The psalm ends with call to the other saints, those who are faithful to love God. May they be strong and take courage as they wait on God. The psalm shows the power of lament and how it leads us to making big requests of God. To begin with, all the psalmist could do was ask God to save them. But as they alternated between declaring their trust in God and showing the hurt and pain, they brought them to a place where they could ask God not only to save them, but to bless them. From there, God's faithfulness led them to a place of praise and thanksgiving. 